Ephesians 4, we're, we're going to get into that in a moment. <clears throat> we're not going to spend much time there. Uh, but first, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would just bless the going out of your word, that as your word goes forth, that as people hear your word, that they would hear your voice and follow you. So we give you this time. We pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would come, that you would anoint not just the speaking, but the hearing, Father. So we thank you. We thank you that your great love in our lives uh, is demonstrated in the fact that by your Holy Spirit, you fill us, you gift us, you anoint us. And so thank you, Lord, for doing all that you do to these uh, undeserving but certainly desirous souls. So thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, as I mentioned, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we started this two-part deal, uh, the giver and the gifts. Last week, we took a sidetrack. I'll talk about that in a minute. But two weeks ago, we looked at the giver. We looked at Jesus that in verse 7 of Ephesians 4, that it says that to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then we looked at verses 8 through 10, saw that he descended and that he ascended, that he came down and then he went up. And that in descending, we looked at, and I'm not going to go into it at all because we've looked at it a couple of times, but there were two things that we looked at. How did he descend? Did he descend to the lower parts of the earth, empty Sheol, which is a viable interpretation? Or did he descend taking the form of a man, accomplishing the work of redemption for us, and then ascending into heaven? Above the heavens, he says, the Jews looked at up to seven levels of heaven. And Paul's point in that is he's above all. And that having done that, though, that he filled all things and gave gifts to men. Uh, Verse 11 in uh, chapter 4, he says that he himself gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He gives four offices and their purpose. He says that these are offices that he uses for leadership in the early church. And they're largely offices today. We'll talk about the office of apostle. I believe that that office is no longer uh, an office in leadership in the church, although the gift of apostleship is. We'll look at the difference in that. I think there's an important distinction to be made there. But he talks about the purposes of these offices that he put together. First, they were to equip people to serve. Secondly, they're to build up the body of Christ. He's using now this sort of metaphor of a human body, talking about the head, Jesus is the head, and that we all are different parts in the body. So when we looked at that last week, uh, and and essentially the, the week before, last week though, I got to that point and then we took Uh, We took a side trip into Jeremiah chapter 11 and chapter 12. Essentially, in the context of this passage, I look at that, that was a bodybuilding exercise because we need to know and to interpret rightly the times within which we live. And there we looked at Jeremiah and the times that he lived in that there was just terrible decay, cultural decay. The people had gone off after all kinds of weird garbage. There was political decay. He was in the, uh, he saw five kings reign. Only one, Josiah, the very first was good. And then it was steady 
going down into apostasy after that, we saw that there's, so there's political decay, there's social decay, there was spiritual decay. The people that did use the name of Yahweh assigned all kinds of weird things to that. And so that there was this whole thing that he was dealing with. And we were overlaying that with the days within which we live, that there's all kinds of weird stuff. We look at political decay. Oh my goodness, don't let, get me started. We look at social decay. Look at five minutes at the news and you're looking at some really interesting things that are going on. You look at spiritual decay. How many people are using the name of Christ in vain? Assigning, again, all kinds of strange doctrines that uh, have supplanted a large part of what was the Christian church. Folks, I believe we're seeing the apostasy. And so we looked at all of that back in Jeremiah, and then we overlaid that onto today. And God's response to Jeremiah was so interesting, as you'd think that he'd say, oh yeah, Jeremiah, you're right. You know, I'll just destroy them all and, you know, we're good. But he doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, at the end of chapter 12, I didn't cover it last week. He says, I'm going to judge them. I'm going to take them out of the land, but because I love them, I'm going to bring them back. The point in all of that was his response to Jeremiah was, Jeremiah, you're running right now with the footman. What are you going to do when the horses, not if, but when the horses come? Right now, by contrast to what's coming, this is a land of peace. And it wasn't peaceful in the land. But by contrast, he's saying, Jeremiah, what are you going to do? Yeah, it looks bad right now. But what are you going to do when it gets worse? It looks bad in Anathoth, your hometown, these guys that are hatching this scheme to kill you. What are you going to do in Jerusalem? It looks bad right now because people are, there's unrest all over the place. What are you going to do when the real battle comes? How are you going to act when the Babylonians come marching into Jerusalem and just begin to wipe people out? What are you going to do when the persecution becomes so great? So he He's essentially equipping Jeremiah, doing that work of equipping his guy. That Jeremiah was his man for that period of time. And we looked at that and we saw that there's such great parallels that what God wants us to do is to be equipped. He wants us to be ready. He, we look around, we say, man, it looks bad. And he's saying, yeah, be prepared. Gird up your loins. <laughs> Still trying to figure out where I can get some loin girds. But the point is, he says, he says, be ready for what's coming. And I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom, guys, but I would be shirking my responsibility as a pastor if I didn't say, look, Jesus tells us to interpret the signs of the times. Oh, I'm tempted to re-preach that message because it's really, really central to what we're dealing with. But that was last week. So we took a break from Ephesians and we're going to just look at a little bit of Ephesians here. Uh, but Primarily, we're going to go to, is we're going to look at the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, spiritual giftedness. What does that mean? What are they? How do they function? What are the parameters? And in, in looking at that, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, look at the, I'm going to read the first seven verses, and that really sets up the rest of what we're going to talk about today. So he says, concerning spiritual gifts, uh, brothers. Now, when he uses, the Bible says spiritual gifts there. The word gifts, if you have a, a translation that's accurate, it will be in italics. That means it was added for clarification translation. Literally, what Paul is saying is concerning spirituals, 
The Greek word is pneumatikos there, and it's where we, pneuma is where we get the word air. If I have a pneumatic wrench, if I'm a mechanic, I'm putting tires on a car, I use a pneumatic tool. That means an air tool. So pneuma is what he's using. He's saying concerning these spiritual things, these unseen things, this giftedness that comes from a place that you can't readily visibly see, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. He says in verse two, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to those dumb idols, however you were led. I love the fact that he calls them dumb idols. <laughs> Very often you look at some of the things that people are putting their confidence in and it's just, it's, it's just dumb. <laughs> and he says, you're carried off by these dumb idols, these things that you put value in, these things that you put uh, emphasis on that could do you literally no good. An idol doesn't do anything. And yet they had been into idolatry. The essence of idolatry is paying attention to something that's false. He says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, look, if you want to know truth, understand the distinction here is you can't, if you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are not going to be speaking lies. You are not going to be speaking falsehood. If you are led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to be essentially the statement of your life is Jesus is Lord. That's the important thing. He says there's diversities of gifts. And now he does use the word gifts. The word is charisma. And if you look in the letters that Paul wrote to the church, he very often opens with grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word grace there is the same word here. Charis. He says, Charis and Shalom, grace and peace. What he's saying that these gifts are, literally, they are graces from God. They are things that you didn't earn. They are things that don't have to do with your natural talents. They're things that have to do with the sovereign will of God at work in your life. He says, there's diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. He says, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God that works all in all. Verse seven, listen to this. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That's the emphasis that we have on on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He gifts each one of us. It's never for us to do our own thing. It's for the, the, for the profit of all, for the edification of the body of Christ, the building up of the saints. Excuse me. I want to look at five things about spiritual gifts, and then we're going to run down a quick list of the gifts uh, and take those apart a bit. Uh, first service, I, I'm going to forewarn you, I went long. <laughs> and and uh, that's because I was looking at is this going to be one study or two? Is there going to be a part three? And I thought, no, I'm going to jam it all into this particular study. So uh, I'm going to cover a lot of scripture. It, just catch it on audio or video afterwards if you want to keep up. Uh, but you know, ba- buckle your seatbelts. This is going to go fast. There's a lot to cover. So five things about spiritual gifts and spiritual giftedness. The first is this. In 1 Corinthians 12, again, we're going to be primarily in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll have a couple of other side trips. He says, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing gifts to each one individually as he wills in, in chapter 12, verse 11. So the, the first thing I want to talk about is that this is not a natural thing. 
The gifts of the Spirit are not natural occurrences. These are not things, yeah, they manifest in the natural, they manifest in the spiritual, but they come from the spiritual realm. These are supernatural empowerings. The word supernatural means beyond the natural. These are things that occur and take place in believers' lives that come from outside of us, come from outside of this realm. This is not a natural equipping. They're distributed by the Holy Spirit to all believers according to God's will, not man's. You, yes, you can desire. He says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but allow God to do the gifting. And very often I've seen where people, they, they will, for one motive or another, and again, we can't always see the motives of the heart, and, and that's fine, but uh, where they will go down one road of gifting at their own peril, because there's, if that's something that God hasn't called them to do, it can be a tough thing. I don't want that to discourage people from pursuing spiritual gifts, though. They're very important. They are why the body functions as it does. But the point is, we operate in a natural, supernatural way, as far as relates to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's my natural combined with his supernatural, his working in me that allows these things to manifest. Let me explain. I'll give you an illustration. <laughs> this is, follows along with the natural, supernatural leading that I'm talking about. Uh, say you're at a dinner party. That was a great dinner. Let's have a cup of coffee. So a nine-year-old girl serves the coffee, and as can happen with nine-year-olds, she spills it. Now, you have the gift of ministry or serving or helps, you're the one that jumps up and runs for a towel. So you have the gift of teaching. You might grab her and say, sweetheart, this is, let me teach you how to carry the cup. This is how you do it. You have the gift of exhortation. You, you say, grab the cups, fill them back up. And you put your arm around her and say, you can do this. Let's go for it again. You have the gift of administration. <laughs> I'm going to poke a little fun here. Who's allowing a nine-year-old to carry hot coffee around? <laughs> we need a committee here. Who authorized this? The gift of administration. Again, I'm overstating just to make a point. If you have the gift of giving, the, co the, the coffee cup falls to the ground and it breaks. And the first thing that you think is, I know that was an expensive cup. I'm going to replace it. I'm going to take care of paying for that. If you have the gift of mercy, you scoop up that little girl and you say, oh, honey, I was nine once too. Don't worry about a thing. It's really okay. I'm glad that you weren't cut. Isn't that good? So there's this natural, supernatural thing. The point in that is notice where your heart sighs. What makes your heart, that's really the best way I can characterize it. What is it, where is it that you, you get like a nudge or a burden as you look around? And where does your heart sigh as, as you're looking at things? There may be in that, there may be gifts stirring. Not always. We'll talk about that. Seeing the need is not always the call. There are times where we're inspired but not called, and that's a different thing. But if that is the case, if you are looking at this thing and you're looking at it rightly, you want to weigh it out. You want to see if it stands the test of, of, of giftedness, and we'll look at that as we go along. If that's the case, you want to explore it. And if you are identifying that as an area of giftedness where God is equipping you, he doesn't give a gift in a vacuum. He doesn't give it so that it can sit on the shelf. He gives gifts for service. If that's the case, develop it. Seek ways to develop your gifts.
The second thing I want to talk about here is this is serious business. The gifts of the Spirit are not parlor tricks. Oh my goodness, I look on television sometimes and I think I'm watching the Holy Ghost talent show. It's terrible. The way that people will parade this stuff out there and it's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'll take my coat and I'll sweep it across the audience and everybody's going to fall or whatever it is. And it's hogwash. This is not, this is not fun and games. This is serious kingdom business. And since spiritual gifts are indeed just that, they are gifts, there is no place for pride. Reminds me of a story in Acts chapter 8. A guy by the name of Simon the sorcerer, uh, you know, he comes along. Peter and John had been in Jerusalem and, and they get sent up to Samaria because people were receiving the Lord there, but the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. And so they go up to lay hands on these guys and pray for them. And as they're praying for these guys, the Holy Spirit does come upon them. They receive the Holy Spirit. And so this guy named Simon, who was well known for his dark arts, his magical arts, he was, he was so well known that they said, well, God's with him and all of that. When he wasn't, he was just part of the great imitator stuff. But the point is, is he gets up there and he says, hey, let me buy some of that power. Yeah, I know. If I buy some of that power, then I can lay hands on people and they can receive the Holy Spirit. Totally carnal motives. He wanted to be seen. He wanted to be the guy. Peter's comments to him essentially were, get out of here. But but that's my paraphrase. He says, your money perish with you. (laughs) So it's serious business. This is not stuff that we do to put on a show. These are not parlor tricks. It's not a talent show. This is how God equips his church. And he does it for the building up of the body of Christ. He uses us to reach out to a lost world through the gifting that he gives us. The three purposes of the gifts of the Spirit are this. The first is inward. As we've read in Ephesians and as we see here in 1 Corinthians, is to edify believers, to build us up. That's what edify means. An edifice is a building. He wants to build us up. He wants to build our faith. He wants to grow us. And he will grow us through the giftings that he gives us. He will equip us for the giftings that he calls us to use. He doesn't generally call the equipped. He generally equips the called. We've looked at that in Hebrews 13. So the first is inward. In 1 Corinthians 14, 12, Paul says, Even so you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. It's for others. It's not for me. So there's an inward edification. The second is upward, to glorify God. We've looked at that. Do all for the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul says, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I want Christ to be seen in the gifts that I use. I want him to be known through the way that I conduct my life as a believer, through the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in my life. I don't, I'm not doing it for me. I, I remember one time at a men's retreat years ago, uh, we had, were developing a new worship leader in our church and he came to me at this men's retreat and he said, John, I'm struggling. I I worked in secular music for a long time and the whole goal there was to draw attention to myself so that I could get notoriety and maybe become famous and have my 15 minutes and all of that. And now I don't know how to deal with it when people come up after church and they say, wow, that was beautiful worship. Oh, I love that song. He said, I'm struggling. And I said, I said, Jamie, what I do is I have an imaginary mirror. It's about this big and I hold it right in front of me. And when 
the comments or the compliments come, yeah, I appreciate the encouragement, but I, the last thing I want to do is start believing my own press clippings. Oh my goodness. I said, so I hold this mirror up and I, I generally will tell the person, thank you. I appreciate the encouragement. And you praise the Lord. Praise God if he used me to speak to you. Praise God if he used me to produce music that led you to worship. Praise God if he used me to come alongside to give you a meal. Whatever it is, it's got to be for the glory of God. The third is outward, and that's to reach unbelievers. In, in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25, Paul says, if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all and he's convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Folks, I can't tell you how many times over the years as I teach, I have no idea what's going on in people's, and this is prophesying, by the way. Part of the gift of teaching is the gift of prophecy. You have, and that means to speak forth. We'll talk about that in a few. But the point is, is I, many, many times over the years, somebody will come up. I've even had people accuse me of knowing their personal business. Because the Holy Spirit used me in that gifting as I'm speaking forth God's word to address something specific in their lives. That's, they're convicted by it. And most of the time they're convicted. They're like, wow, can I talk to you about this? I had no idea that you knew. You know, it's like, and I love those times, but that's the gift of teaching at work. That's a gift of prophecy at work. So what he's saying in this is unbelievers coming in. If, if you're in a, a, a believers meeting or an un, and an if you're in a meeting where the gifts of the Spirit are in operation and an unbeliever comes in and the Holy Spirit's working in them and through the prophetic utterances that are coming about, God gets their attention, speaks to them, that's a good thing. He's saying that they'll fall down and worship God because of what was taking place. They recognize that there's something supernatural going on in our midst. Very often I witness this when I'm listening to the radio or uh, watching something online and uh, with a, one of the few Bible teachers that I trust. <laughs> but uh, somebody will say something and, and the Holy Spirit just kind of zing, it just kind of drives that home. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, that was for me. This, this is part of the operation of, uh, of the Holy Spirit's work and giving us the gift to be able to discern the spirits is another. We'll look at that as well. So the point is, is that there's an a, there's a inward purpose, there's an upward purpose, and there's an outward purpose to the gifts of the Spirit. The fourth thing I want to look at here is the quality of spiritual gifts, not the quantity. That's what it's about. The first thing in that is that every believer has at least one gift. Every single one. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. We're told in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, for the profit of all. The second thing I want to look at this is, in this is the believer, no believer has every spiritual gift. There is no such thing as somebody that has every spiritual gift. That's not how it works. That's not how he works. Um, Again, in in chapter 12 here in verses 20 and 21, he says, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. There's a diversity of gifts and a diversity in giftedness. It's not everybody has one, and so therefore we all need to go see him or her because they're the really anointed ones. That's just just not, not good. 
The third thing in this is that there's no spiritual gift that every believer is expected to have. And there are denominations like the Assemblies of God, some of the Pentecostal denominations say that you have to have the gift of tongues or you don't belong to Christ. In verses 29 and 30 here at 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? He asks a series of hypothetical questions that the answer uniformly is no. You cannot make a doctrine where this kind of stuff flies in the face of of what is being said. You have to go with what the scripture says first. And I just think that that's a dangerous position to take because what you do in the church now is that you have people, I've known very honest people that say, I just can't, I, I can't seem to manufacture the gift of tongues. I, I don't know what to do. I must not be saying. And they're getting all, just all wound up about it. When it's like, you know, if you understand what God's word has to say, you don't have to have the gift of tongues. Is it an important gift? Is it a viable gift? Of course it is. Yes, it is. We'll talk about it. But not everybody has to have a specific gift in order to be saved. That's the point. The fifth thing I want to look at is those sim gifts are more visible. All gifts are important. Sometimes God calls people to a more visible ministry. There's an extra weight of responsibility that goes with that because we are not created to contain glory. We do not do well. He says, do not try to share my glory. You make sure it's for my glory and not yours. You want to be put on the shelf in areas where you're serving the Lord, start taking some of the glory for yourself. That's a slippery slope, folks, and it's a very serious one, and God takes it seriously. I will not share my glory with another, period. That's his words, not mine. In in chapter 12 here in verses 21 and 22, Paul says, in the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. In other words, he's saying, you might be an eye, you might be, you know, a nose, or you might be a visible part. That you're, that you're a foot doesn't mean that it, it might appear that you're not as important because your work is hidden. But he's saying, no, that's a necessary function in the body of Christ. You're fulfilling If you're fulfilling your ministry and it's something that's not up front, that's okay. As we look at spiritual gifts that are listed in the scripture, I'm going to make three stops. The first is in, we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. uh, And then we'll look at Romans chapter 12. And then we'll finish up back where we are working from. And that's in Ephesians chapter 4. He says in 12.7 in the book of Romans, he says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12.7, yeah. Uh, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings. Notice that's plural. By the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. And yet to another, interpretation of tongues. That's a mouthful. We're going to work through it. (laughs) That's why I said I ran a little long because there's a lot here. And this is only the first section. I want you to understand something that's universally applied as we look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's these are divine, supernatural empowerings. Again, you've got to understand, these don't come from within this realm. They don't come from within me. It is a divine equipping that comes upon me for the work of the ministry to serve God. Something that's very important, it's an important distinction to make. Uh, and I've asked people sort of the trick question over the years, what were you created for? Very often somebody will say, well, I was created to serve God. And, and my response is, I beg to differ. You were not created to serve God. You were created for fellowship with God. Out of the depth of the intimacy of the relation flows fruitful service. Don't get me wrong. It's not that service is unimportant. But you can't get that. That's a cart before the horse kind of theology if you think that serving God is a means towards deepening your relationship with him. That's not so. Deepening your relationship with him will result in the abundance of your heart being wanting to serve him, in the abundance of your heart wanting to be equipped by him, wanting his gifts, the gifts of his spirit to manifest in your life. You've got to have that right. It's got to go in that order. Going in the other order, you can cover up a weak walk with the Lord with service. And, and that's a troublesome thing. So the first thing we're going to look at here is wisdom or the word of wisdom that he talks about. And that's the capacity to understand and as a result to act wisely. <laughs> Pretty simple explanation. You want the gift of wisdom? You want to be wise. Understand there's a difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. It's a mystery which if the rulers of this world had understood it, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. They were wise rulers in an earthly sense, but this didn't make any sense to them at all. And so they strung him up. It's God's wisdom that we're after. When Solomon was asked what he wanted, he said, I want wisdom. I want to know how to govern these people. He knew that the secret to a successful life And we know that the secret to a successful ministry is God's wisdom. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does with the gift of wisdom is he'll he'll not only use it to use us as we're walking in this gift to impart truth and understanding to others, but it also results in, it, it invokes a response of personal holiness and worship in our own lives if that is a gift that we are walking in. To walk wisely, to desire to walk wisely. I think about to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That is wise. That's a life that's dedicated to worship. That's a life that's dedicated to his purposes. The second is knowledge or the word of knowledge here. And that's the the divine ability to know things about people or situations via the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And this is a knowledge, again, that has no human origin. I can't tell you how many times over the years I'll be doing some pastoral counsel with someone and I'm praying as somebody's talking. If somebody comes to see me, they got to know that I'm praying and, and I'm just like, Lord, give me illumination on this. Show me what's going on. Give me an understanding. Give me wisdom, a word of wisdom. Give me a word of knowledge on this. And he does. There's a time, there are times, and there are times we can get this wrong. Got to be careful. But truly it's the divine ability to know things about people and situations. It's not a human knowledge. There's just like an illumination that comes and it's like, I see what's going on and, and, and I've learned that I can trust that. The, the King James calls it the unction of the Holy Spirit. I can trust that unction that comes. Third thing here is a gift of faith. 
Now, we're all called to walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. So if you're a Christian, you're part of the just. And you're called to walk by faith. We walk trusting in that which we cannot see. That's the essence of faith from Hebrews 11.1. What we're talking about here with the gift of faith is an extraordinary confidence in God, an extraordinary faith. You have an additional measure of faith. A guy that I discipled under for many years, his name was Bob, uh, was he just had an extraordinary gift of faith. There were times where I warned him, said, Bob, not everybody has your gift, your measure of faith. You know, need to be careful that we don't expect other people to act in ways that you do because you, he, he just trusted God for everything. And, and I, I, was, I would marvel because it's like, I don't have that kind of faith. And I want to be growing in faith. And yet he had the gift of faith. He could just kick back, trust God. That's it. That's the end of it. It's going to happen. It's going to work out, whatever the thing was. It's an unwavering trust in God's promises and God's abilities, especially in times of adversity. How many times do you hear, we, my wife and I watched a documentary on Corey Ten Boom about a week ago, and, and, and just looking at her unwavering faith through the concentration camps and through the death of her sister, the death of her father, the captors, and the, all of the stuff that she went through. What a remarkable, remarkable life. She had the gift of faith. She could trust God in great adversity. She knew that God would come through. The fourth thing here is healings. And it's plural, as I mentioned. It's it's not one healing. And this, this gift is related to the gift of faith. It's related to the gift of miracles because both of those are in play when God chooses sovereignly to heal somebody. Also remember that in this gift, this gift by definition, it's the divine ability to restore people to wholeness. It's not something that you can do at will. There are those that peddle a false doctrine and they say that when it doesn't happen, well, it's your faith. Hogwash. That puts people under a heavy burden, a head trip that should not be there. But the gift of healing is always subject to the sovereign will of God. Uh, as a young Christian, I would pray for somebody to be healed. I would say, Lord, just heal them. And I'd lay hands on them. I'd pray for them, anoint them with oil, all of that, which is all prescriptive stuff. That's stuff that the Bible says. And they wouldn't get well. And I had tripped about that for a long time because I wasn't making room for the sovereignty of God. You've got to realize it's his ball. It's his ball game. He makes the rules. You get to play. You don't get to make the rules. And with the gift of healing, when I see people head trip other people, they're trying to rewrite the rules. It's always by the sovereignty of God. Does God gift people with the gift of healings? Yes, he does. I've seen it. Do people always get well? Well, eventually, (laughs) when they get to heaven. But sometimes we pray for healing. Don't head trip about the fact if God doesn't heal, you got to yield to his sovereignty. That's just good health. The gift of miracles. This is the supernatural empowering to invite the miraculous power of God into a situation. Miracles exist. It's not your power, it's his. Got to remember there's a purpose to all of this. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaching there on the day of Pentecost stands up before thousands of people, 3,000 get saved. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified, he was attested to you by signs, wonders, and miracles. If the miraculous is coming about, 
you better be sure that that person is pointing directly to the glory of God. It's for his glory alone. Great temptation. I've seen it. I've seen charlatans do this fake healing stuff and it's all about them. Shouldn't be. But this divine ability to restore people is there. It does exist. Again, subject to the will of God, the miracles happen. They're subject to the will of God. They always are to be attesting miracles. They attest to him having the power. When Jesus there at the Sea of Galilee fed 5,000 men, probably 15,000 people, women and children, when he was there on Mount Arbel, I believe that's where it was. If you've been to the land, you know there's a gentle slope on the backside of that mountain and right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, one of the very few places where you could fit that many people. So he's there on Mount Arbel and, and he dismisses the crowd. He sends them home. He says, just go. He knew that they wanted to come and put him up on their shoulders and haul him off to Jerusalem and install him as king. And he told his disciples, get in the boat, go. <laughs> he sent everybody home. He went up on the mountain to pray. And then that night he walked on the water. He went to the, the synagogue uh, the following day and says, look, uh, he, he went to Capernaum, which is kind of skipping across the edge of the lake. And, and he stands up there. He says, you seek me because I gave you a, a sign, a miracle. And I fed you. And they were coming essentially saying, could you feed us again? And he said, let me tell you something. If you want any part with me, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And to a Jewish mind, do you have any idea how that would scandalize? I mean, that would be the most stumbling, offensive thing you could say. He thinned the rakes on purpose because they were seeking miracles over seeking the worker of miracles. When miracles come about, you seek the worker of the miracle, not the person, but the one who ultimately is working it. The gift of prophecy. This is a great gift. It's one I'm employing now, as I mentioned. Now, the gift of prophecy is the divine ability to declare truth. It's simple. That's a simple explanation for the gift of prophecy. And that can relate, that truth can relate to the past, to the present, or to the future. Most of the time now, because we're not in Old Testament days, Old Testament prophets foretold things that were yet to happen. Why would they do that? So that when they came about, guess who would get the, the glory? Guess who would get greater attention? You know, God would foretell this is going to happen. It would come about and the people would go, wow, God must be, re- he must be at work. Most of the time, this gift in our time, in our day is forthtelling. Not foretelling, not predicting the future. There's predictive prophecy and there's practical prophecy. What I'm doing now is I teach is practical prophecy in a practical way. I'm telling, I'm sharing forth God's word. So understand the distinction there. If somebody, if somebody wants to use the gift of prophecy and they're, they're sharing something as it is from God, you have the responsibility, Deuteronomy 18 outlines the test of a prophet. And, and what it says there, I, I'll paraphrase, is if you want to test that prophet, you make sure that every single word that he says, or she, that every single thing that is brought about by that person comes true. If it's not 100% accuracy, you have the responsibility to dismiss that person. Don't pay any attention to him. 
If more people use that one principle in our day, I believe the false teachers that abound would be severely limited. So the gift of prophecy, mostly foretelling, sometimes foretelling, but if that's the case, check it out. The gift of discernment or discerning the spirits, the seventh one here. The word describes being able to distinguish or discern, to judge or appraise a person, a statement, a situation, or an environment. We're called to discern the spirits. This is a common gift. It's one that I pray that our church would use, that the body of Christ in general would use, would employ frequently and often because you cannot get duped if you are correctly discerning the spirits. Understand that we are often put into situations or circumstances where we need to discern, is this good, is this evil? Is what that person is saying right or is it wrong? Is that doctrinal, is it scriptural, or is it heresy? They're very often, especially dealing in a fallen world, we're to discern the spirits, to see whether they're from God. And that's a very important aspect of walking in spiritual giftedness. The Holy Spirit gives a gift of discernment to enable Christians to clearly recognize and distinguish between the influence of God, Satan, the world, and the flesh in a given situation. That's the gift of discernment. Very important. The gift of tongues. That's basically what the gift of tongues is, is to speak in a language that was not learned by natural means. You weren't taught a language. I, I remember back in Bible college, <laughs> I was... Uh, it was a Sunday night. On Sunday nights, we had had our nose in the books all week, and it was a very intense time. And on Sunday night, we would just go in a big auditorium, and we would just all we would do is worship. And we would just lift up our voices to the Lord. And I had told God, I do not want the gift of tongues. I do not want it. There's so much abuse. I don't ever want to feel like I'm faking it. You know, I, it's, this is, I don't want it. <laughs> I've laughingly said, well, you know what happens when you try to tell God what to do. But um, I was sincere. I didn't want that gift. And as I worshiped this one night, I was worshiping and I was just, I was just in the spirit. And it was just, man, I'll tell you, it was just a beautiful, wonderful, intimate time with the Lord. And this beautiful language began to just fall from my lips. And I didn't understand it. I just began to weep because it was like, Lord, I didn't want this. This is so beautiful. This is just Talk about edifying, to build me up. Have I used that publicly? No. And most of the time, the gift of tongues is for personal edification. It's between you and God. When it is used in a corporate manner with a group, that's where interpretation comes in. The interpretation of tongues is the divine insight into translating from an unknown language into a known language so that the mysteries of God can be understood. If we were to have a believer's meeting and we were making space for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to to be exercised, which I totally believe. And there are times. He says, you know, you don't want to be doing that when unbelievers are present. They'll walk in. If you guys are all speaking in tongues, they're going to think you're nuts. That's a paraphrase, but that's what he says. He says, you want to do that in an environment where you know that there are believers present that understand that this is a a viable gift. 
If I were going to do that, if somebody said, you know, I have the gift of tongues, Pastor John, and I would like to be able to exercise that, I would make a call. I would ask, is there anyone here that has the gift of interpretation of tongues? Because then we can do it decently and in order. That's the qualifier for these gifts, for the audible gifts, the sign gifts. They must be done decently and in order. I don't believe that if somebody has a gift of prophecy that they should stand up in the middle of a Bible study and start to prophesy because the Holy Spirit doesn't interrupt himself. And if the Holy Spirit is using me to speak forth God's word and somebody gets up and they start going on, I don't think that that, you know, one of us is not hearing from God. (laughs) So anyway, the interpretation of tongues is important. It's very important in exercising spiritual giftedness decently and in order. Most of the time, my Spiritual gift, the gift of tongues is my prayer language. And when I pray in the spirit, I'm praying for things that are powerful. And I don't even know what they are. I understand about two lines of my prayer language. I believe the Holy Spirit revealed that to me at one time. But by and large, I'm praying in the spirit and I don't, I don't fully know. I'm not comprehending that language. But I am built up. I'm edified because it's not something that's originating in me. Okay, I'm going to move through here, here. Uh, the gift of administration. I was poking fun at it a little bit earlier with the coffee example and all of that, but it's a serious gift. The Greek word is kubernesis. It's a unique term, and it refers to a shipmaster or a captain. That's how that word is used in the original. What it is, it's a, it's a divine empowering to organize people, to organize tasks or events, having the ability to create order out of chaos. That's somebody with a gift of administration. I don't have it. five minutes in my office and you'll know I don't have it. (laughs) I clean it up, but I clean it up into larger stacks as as I go. My point is, is that I love seeing people with the gift of administrations. And if you have that gift, see me. Uh, I'm kidding. But uh, it's a wonderful gift. You just look at something and you see how to go forward. You understand the way forward in that. You understand that we need to get this thing organized. I sort of picked on the person with the gift of administration is by saying, oh, we need a committee. And we don't do committees around here. (laughs) I think of committees like I think of titles. We have titles for our elders or for the pastor, but that's so that people can be identified as those whose heart is to minister to others in the church. But beyond that, we're all servants, every one of us. And that's a good title for all of us. So, My point in that is that these are divine empowerings for all of us. They're things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us. Second stop, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. We're going to take a look at that. He says in verse 6, he says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So the first gift we look at here as we unpack this passage is the gift of serving or ministry or helps. It's called those interchangeably. And that's a practical gift. This is the person that sees something that needs to be done and they just do it. This is a person that understands that it's not always everybody else's responsibility. 
<laughs> when somebody has the gift of helps, I love seeing. And you know, one of the things I look for when I see God raising up leaders in the church, I told the guy once, he, he came to Harvey and I, and he wanted us to ordain him as a pastor. And he was like, not showing any of the, the gifts, the giftings that are consistent with that. And I said, you want to know who I look for? And he said, who? I said, I'd look for the guy pushing the vacuum cleaner. And he's like, what? And he had never pushed a vacuum cleaner at the church. But the point is, is that this is a practical ministry. And God has called all of us to have servants' hearts. Every one of us. And if you guys know me and you know the way I, I believe we need to do ministry, it's always, you want to be in leadership? You're down here. It's always going low. It's always being the one that's there to identify the need and fill it. It's always being the one that perceives what's going on and saying, you know, Lord, I know that's not for other people. That's for me to jump in and to take care of. That's leadership in the body of Christ. It's servant leadership. And the gift of serving, the gift of ministry is critically important to anyone who aspires to anything in the church. I love when somebody comes to me and they say, Pastor, what can I do? Not, well, I will serve in this way and this way and this way. After all, I took a test. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, do you have a willing heart? Do you want to serve the Lord? If you're faithful in the little things, more will be given. That's the spiritual principle in this. And, it's, and you know what? It is a great gift. I love seeing the smile on people's face when they've been serving the Lord. I loved going down. When we were at Red Hills Church and we would go down and clean that church every Sunday night, I went every Sunday night just because I loved doing it. I'm not bragging about it. I'm just saying that I just love being there with everybody. You know, I don't care if we're pushing a vacuum or cleaning windows or whatever. It was a great time. That's, that's the, the heart that God wants us to have. The gift of teaching. This one is in Romans and 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians. Uh, it's the ability to communicate spiritual truths in a clear and understandable manner. And again, this is a supernatural ability. It's not just giving a book report. It's knowing that God is going to use that to speak his truth into the hearts of his people. And it's totally a Holy Spirit-driven thing. It's not... Uh, I've mentioned before, if you ever heard anybody snore, that's what the, the lack of the gift of teaching sounds like. Because it, it's, it, there's just a spiritual dynamic when that comes about. The gift of exhortation. This is not the gift of yelling at people. <laughs> it's to encourage others, sometimes strongly, but it's to encourage others to believe God, to obey God, to walk with God. That's the gift of exhortation. It's like that little girl that spilled the coffee and the person that has the gift of exhortation is just coming along and saying, you know, let me, let me show you how this is done. And, you know, let's do this. The gift of exhortation is a wonderful gift. Be sure that that's a gift that you have because when, if you have the gift of exhortation and you exhort, guess what? Proof of that gift, people aren't totally put off or telling you to butt out or whatever. They're going to listen because the Holy Spirit's on both sides of that equation. 
They may not like it sometimes. And I caution people, before you go and take it upon yourself to exhort in a rude manner, you better be sure you're hearing from the Lord and you better be prayed up for a long time before you take it upon yourself to think that you're the one that needs to go and confront a thing. Again, safety in a multitude of counselors, you'd be well off to consult with those in leadership or people that you know might be more acquainted with a situation before you lead off. Uh, there are times where relationships get wrecked needlessly because people take it upon themselves to exhort and God hasn't equipped them for that. The gift of giving. I love seeing this gift. Uh, it's, this is, it's just a marvelous gift. Whether it's time, talent, or treasures. All three. Giving your t- I love it when people say, Pastor, what can I do? I remember I put out the thing we were going to open the church back up and within like two minutes, my phone rang. So what, what can we do to help? And I'm like, right on. I love that. It's like, that was just, just awesome. That's somebody that wants to give of their time. And, and it's like, here we are. <laughs> and I had a great time with them too. Um, so, but the gift of giving, I remember one time we were, when I first came to the church, we were paying way too much money for coffee. So I canceled the coffee service. We were renting the water machine and renting the coffee machine and paying. It was like north of 40 bucks for a little thing, of coffee packets, and it was lousy coffee. <laughs> and, and that, so I ordered a new coffee maker and it came in and I'm thinking, okay, I, I got to time this right or we won't have coffee for Sunday. And, uh, that is after all kind of really important around here. Um, and it bumps me out that it's suspended right now. But my point is, is that, you know, I'm down at the hospital. I was going down there every Wednesday to do ministry stuff and, and hang out and uh, visit with different ones. And, and this guy comes in and goes, hey, you got your truck here? And I said, yeah. And he goes, where are you parked? And I said, over there. He goes, oh, okay. And he comes over and, and he opens his door. And there's like, I don't know, 27 boxes of coffee in it. And I was so blessed. I was blessed at it's like Paul says, you know, when he was talking about the offering that the Philippians made, he says, you know, I, I am so excited, not for having the coffee, but for the increase to your account, because you very obviously got the gift of giving. He couldn't wait to get rid of this stuff. And I said, we'll take it. And all of that. But the point is, is that people do that with their finances. I don't track the finances here. I generally don't know who gives what, and I like it that way. And that's why we have a box. We don't pass the plan. It's not that that's a bad thing. But when people want to exercise the gift of giving, there are times where I'm blessed when I see what happens to the church's account because it's like, wow, somebody's giving. And somebody's giving from the substance. Somebody's taking care of things. I love to see that. I love to see, again, the increase to your account more than the gift itself. And that's a wonderful thing. The gift of giving is a, it's a powerful gift. I look at it as somebody is, they're more like a river than they are a lake. Let me explain. Water flows into a lake. Generally, it flows in, but it doesn't flow out. I mean, yeah, there might be a stream trickling out, but that lake just gets fuller and fuller. As God uses somebody with the gift of giving, they're a person through whom God channels resources into them. And, and, and as he does that, as he equips that person with the gift of giving, they're a river. They look at and identify ways to distribute the things that God is causing to flow into their lives. They're not hanging on to it. They're looking for the outlet. And so, wonderful gift. More like a river than a lake. Love seeing it uh, manifest. And I, I love seeing that in our body. I love seeing that in general. 
Wonderful. The gift of leadership. This is another gift that you can identify <laughs> if you're called to lead. Uh, one of the things that happens is if you're called to lead and nobody follows, probably ought to check it out. Um, <laughs> proof of that is people will follow if you have the gift of leadership. It's the ability to lead others into God's purposes. It involves godly vision, motivation, and direction. That God works that gift in you as you lead. People want to follow. They're inspired by that. And not all the time. Sometimes ministry is discouraging. Sometimes we go and we set out to minister. We set out to serve the Lord and nobody shows up. That doesn't mean that it wasn't from God. That might be a test for my faithfulness. Again, it's not about numbers. It's about faithfulness in whatever God's called us, commissioned us to do. The gift of mercy, powerful, another powerful gift. Uh, having the power to empathize uh, with and to help those who are hurting. This is a serious gift, guys. I, and again, I, I love seeing this gift in operation. Um, I know many in this church have the gift of mercy and they will see somebody that's hurting and they're right there finding ways to be a blessing, finding ways to come alongside, finding ways to encourage. Uh, I've seen many tears shed from someone who is in that place of empathy towards another. And, and they're, they're just taking the hurt on themselves and they're saying, you know, how can I be a blessing? Lord, how can you use me here? My heart goes out. And that's what mercy is. Your heart goes out. To, it's having the power to empathize with and to help people that are hurting. Third stop, coming first full circle back to Ephesians chapter four. <laughs> we're just, we are, this, we're not trying, we are sprinting through spiritual gifts this morning. Only got a few more and then we'll wrap up. Verse 11, he says, He himself gave some as apostles and some as prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. In verse 10, he says that he ascended that he might fill all things. You remember that a couple of weeks ago. We looked at that, that he ascended that he might fill all things. What does he mean by that? Jesus was no longer located. We've talked about that. He no longer was in a physical place on this earth. Now that he's ascended, that he can fill all things, that he then gives gifts to men to represent him and his purposes on this earth. When you look at Jesus with these four gifts, these leadership qualities that, that we're talking, these offices of the early church, we see that as far as apostles go, Hebrews 3.1 says that he's the apostle and high priest of our confession. He's the greatest of the apostles, Jesus himself. We know that Jesus held the office of prophet, priest, and king. So when I talk about prophecy or prophet, the office of prophet, he was the perfected version of that. We want to talk about an evangelist. The word evangelist means bearer of good news. He's the embodiment of good news. He's the essence of the gospel, which means good news. It talks about pastors and teachers here. That word pastor is poimen. We're told that he is the great shepherd of the sheep. And the word in Greek is the arch poimen, that he is the great shepherd. I'm an under shepherd. He's the great shepherd. So these are all qualities that Jesus himself possesses. And they're qualities now that, that he has ascended, that he distributes to men. 
into women. The first is apostleship, and that's when you're a, somebody that's empowered by God to pioneer and establish new mission, ministry initiatives. And that's simply, that's the simplest explanation. We'll talk about it more as we wrap up in a few minutes. But that's the gift of, or the calling of apostleship. It's not the same as the office of apostle, which Paul is talking about here. As I mentioned, that's expired. There's no longer a need for that. But the work of apostleship is a, is a viable gift for today. And we covered the gift of prophecy, so I'm going to skip that. The next is evangelism. That's where somebody is specifically called and empowered to communicate the gospel to those who are lost. I remember the first day when and Chuck Porter, he was here at first service, that, that he and Joanne were here. We had um, a guy come up and speak uh, about going to Africa to do evangelistic work and all that. At the end of that message, Chuck was weeping. God had so powerfully moved on his life that he was just broken before God in that sense and saying, I got to go. And he came up to me. He said, I have to do this. He was being called and gifted with evangelism. He is an evangelist. And I love seeing that at work in his life. And, and then God funded him and God sent him. And there was great fruit. He came back, said, I'd never been anywhere where there's a 100% conversion rate with everybody I talked to. They wanted to receive Christ. What a powerful thing. We're all called to evangelize, but there are some that God gives an extra measure of the desire and, and just the angst, not the angst, the unction of the spirit. I've got to do this. I've got to win souls for Christ. Remember something in this, folks, that in the areas, I've mentioned it before, but I've got to mention it again. In the areas where God gifts us, where the Holy Spirit gifts us and empowers us, those can become areas where we're critical of others. Well, why hasn't everybody else gotten on board with this? How come nobody else is excited about this? It's in the Bible. Yeah, but you got to realize that God calls and equips according to his will, not man's. And we can't afford to develop a critical spirit over people that are not called and equipped as we are. That's an immature approach, and it's something that doesn't honor God. It pulls the glory away from him, and it spoils the gift. Don't do it. The next is pastor-teacher. We talked about that a couple of weeks. I'll just briefly talk about it. It's one who's called to both feed and to tend the flock. I talked about that with Peter there when Jesus restored him at the Sea of Galilee after he resurrected. And he said, Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, feed my flock. That's pastor-teacher. And he uses the same word there. When he says, shepherd my people, when he says, tend my sheep, he's talking about, the word is poimen. Again, he's calling Peter to that ministry. So it's one who's called to feed and tend. I would add protect the flock. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter tags on with another gift that's worth mentioning, and it's the gift of hospitality, as we talked about before. He says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. The gift of hospitality is one who provides an environment where people feel valued and cared for. I love seeing this gift in my wife. She is very definitely gifted with hospitality. She loves just making it special. She loves, and, and I know many other in the body here too, I love seeing the gift of hospitality at work. You know, there was a, a Letha Riverman had a surgery this weekend. The women got together and they put together a bunch of meals for every night. Somebody's coming over and sharing their hospitality with her. Uh, Joanne Porter heads up that ministry. If you ever want to be a part of it, talk with her because 
They, there's just different women that are involved in that. But it's a, it's, it's a hospitable thing. They're making her feel valued, appreciated. We, we see that you, know, you have a need right now. We want to be hospitable. We want to meet that need. So hospitality, that's the last of the gifts that I've, I wanted to talk about. These are the, in these three places, primarily, but the point in all of it is none of these lists of spiritual giftedness are exhaustive lists. They're not complete lists. They're open-ended because God gifts and equips in many different ways. Uh, other possibilities include the, from 1 Corinthians 7, the gift of celibacy, the gift of singleness. If God's calling you to be single, then you need the gift of celibacy because otherwise you're in sin. But the point is, is that that's a gift that he gives. It's one that he works the gift of intercession. God has called you to a, a ministry of prayer for other people and you intercede on their behalves. That's a gift. It's something that God burdens people to do and he calls specific ones. I love that we have prayer warriors in this church. I depend on them for the covering and, and we all want to be people of prayer. These are people that are specifically burdened and called. The gift of music. That, I mean, I love that we have a gifted worship leader and, and that that's something that is taken seriously. We're not doing a sing-along here. Uh, my prayer for our worship team, our worship leader these days is, is that, Lord, let them worship, that your people would be inspired to follow and to worship you. And I love that, that that's how that comes about. One of the things I want to mention here, and I know I'm running a little late, but bear with me, is there's no reason to believe that spiritual gifts have ceased. There is nothing in the Bible that says that they have ceased. There are many that take the position that the sign gifts, tongues, prophecy, all of that, that they're gone, that they expired with the death of the last apostle. They said those are apostolic gifts. I, I disagree. In 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 8 through 12, the apostle Paul says, but, whatever, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, that will vanish away. So he's talking about spiritual gifts expiring. If you stop there, you could get the idea that some of these gifts were just temporary. But he goes on, he says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. When's then? When we get to heaven, there won't be a need for spiritual giftedness. We'll be there. We'll have the fullness that, that comes with our glorified bodies. He says, now I know in part, but then I'll know just as I'm now known. So this passage totally nullifies. People use it. They stop short and they use it to say, oh, some of the spiritual gifts are gone. They're not for today. But if you finish the passage, you see that it's clearly referencing when we graduate from this life and we go to heaven. These gifts are for today. And to think that they're not is to shortchange the work of the Spirit in someone's life. I want to wrap up with five points of understanding here. And, uh, and they're this. Understand apostolic ministry. 
And this is important. It's an important distinction. These are five places where we want to just increase our understanding to learn from God's word. While there is no longer remains the office of apostle, and I don't believe that that is, I don't believe it's viable, the function of apostleship still exists. They don't have the authority to write scripture, as many of the, the books in the Bible were written by the apostles. They have a different purpose in the sense of establishing the church. They're not there to establish a church. The foundation's already been laid. That was part of the work of the original capital A apostles. The mission of those with the gift of apostleship today, (laughs) I have trouble with that word, is that they plant new ministries and churches. They go into places where the gospel has not been preached. They reach across cultures to establish churches and challenging environments. They raise up and develop leaders to call out and lead pastors and shepherds. The lowercase a, apostleship, the gift of apostleship still exists. Very often we call these people missionaries. But it is a viable gift. And so when we see that gift listed in God's word, don't be confused. Don't confuse the office of apostle with the calling, the equipping, the gift of apostleship. The second is understand prophetic ministry. This is very important in the spiritual environment within which we find ourselves. Genuine prophetic words today are always in submission to the scripture. Underline always, not most of the time. They're not equal to the scripture. They don't ever exceed the scripture. There is a lot of poisonous doctrine out there that says that we're the new apostolic reformation or we are this group or we are that group and we have got a new word from God for you. Hogwash. Terrible doctrine. Which the untaught and the unstable distort to their own destruction is what the Bible says about those that peddle such doctrines. I know this is strong, but church, you got to be on guard. You got to be aware. There are people out there that are peddling destructive heresies. And this is a lot of times how they show up under the auspices or the guise of a prophetic word. Remember, the gift of prophecy is mostly forthtelling. And if that's the case, it'll be rooted in God's word when it's used properly. The third is understand the nature of spiritual gifts. Seeing the need is not necessarily the gifting. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. I remember for 10 years or so, I went and co-led uh, these Mexico outreach trips where we'd take teams down into Mexico. And every year there would be teens that would come to me and say, oh, John, I just am so broken. I see what's going on. Because you're seeing how most of the world lives. <laughs> you're taking kids that you know, have an abundance in their home and all of that. And they'd see, and they would just see God move. We would see God do miraculous things every day. And, and it was a powerful, powerful time. And they would, these kids would be inspired. They'd say, I think God's calling me to the mission field. Well, maybe he is. Right now you're inspired. Let's see how you feel about it in six months. And in six months, there were some that were. Our daughter-in-law was one. She was one that she went off <laughs> mercy ships in Africa and different parts of the world serving on the mission field. Then she was inspired and called through those outreaches. Some were, a few were, 
Mostly they were people that were inspired, which is a good thing. Just got to be careful not to confuse that with the calling and the equipping of God. Ways that we discover our gifts? No, not through spiritual gift tests. I'm sorry, I am just opposed to those. I thought they were great when I was a younger Christian, but then I realized that they kind of tied people in knots. Like, well, I'll only do that, but I'm not going to do that because it wasn't on the test. It's like, no, 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 don't, no, don't go there. But the point is, is that we, we discover gifts through our service, through serving and seeing fruit. Is it fruitful service? Is it something that people are blessed by? Is it something that you really enjoy? Is it something that you just, even if it's hard? Yeah, the, the, when you're serving and, and it's fruitful, that's a great way to discover your gifts. Another is through prayer, and I can't stress this enough. Are you praying, saying, Lord, use me? And I, I'll tell you again, I love the prayer. I don't care how you use me, just use me. I just, here I am. I, I'm all yours. I want to be used. I want you to work in me and then to work through me. If you're committed to discipleship in your own life, that's a key ingredient because he's got to work in you in order to work through you. He's got to take and, and sand off those rough edges in order to put you to work in his kingdom and to make an impact in the lives of others. And I'm not saying that in every case. I mean, there's times where, there are times where very clearly where God gifts in a moment, in a moment in time. Well, gee, I see the dishes are dirty. I'll wash them. <laughs> That's a gift of helps. All right, That's fine. There are other aspects. It's like, wow, I really want to teach the Bible. That is a gift that God develops over time. And you've got to be patient. And if that's something that he's doing, you'll see fruit to that. Other people will put their hand to it as well. And that's the other thing. The third thing here is that through the affirmation of others, you can discover areas of giftedness. I, I just, I can't stress that enough. You, there's, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. There is a, a, a place where if other people are bearing witness that, wow, that's something that God's doing in that guy's or that woman's life. And we want to get behind that. I want to get behind spiritual giftings in our body. I want to, and I want to encourage their use. I want to encourage their development. I want to give place to them. I want to see that we make room for them to be developed. And in a small church, that's sometimes difficult because there's only so much that needs to be done. But at the same time, we want to develop, more fully develop the gifts that we have and discover new ones as God leads. Remember, he doesn't call the equipped. In in Hebrews 13, he says that he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. As he calls, he will equip. So those are ways that we can discover our spiritual gifts. The fourth thing here is understand that God does not give gifts in a vacuum. I mentioned that. I'll say it again. A genuine spiritual gift in our lives is not an invitation to hang it up in the closet and let it sit. While seeing the call is not ne- or seeing the need is not necessarily the call, when you have identified and you know that God has called you, you know that God has equipped you, you know that God has gifted you for a particular work of ministry, Use it and use it for the glory of God. He doesn't give gifts in a vacuum. He doesn't give them so that you can just have them, possess them and not use them. The fifth thing here and the final thing, we'll close with this, is understand the greatest spiritual gift of all. 
1 Corinthians 13, 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I don't have love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow my, all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. I will add to that, it profits those around you nothing. The greatest gift is God's love. In John chapter 3, verse 16, we see where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. It's the gift of salvation being referenced there. God is in the gift giving business. If you don't know Jesus this morning, he's beckoning you to come in, to become part of his family, to find answers to the difficulties in your life, to understand that you can make sense out of all of this, as crazy as it is. If you don't know Christ this morning, this has been more or less a family talk, talking to believers, talking to people who have transacted with Jesus Christ and accepted them, him as their Lord and Savior. And I want to give room for you to do that too. I want to give room for you to give your life to Christ, to let the weight of your troubles down onto him because he cares for you. He loves you with an eternal love. The Bible gives us answers to the difficulties we see around us. Not only that, not only does God give us the ability to see and to understand, he gifts us and equips us that we can minister to one another in love and that we can build up the body of Christ, which is the church. If you're standing on the outside and you sense a lack of meaning, a lack of purpose, a lack of understanding, come in. Yeah, come into the church as far as the, the, the church doors go. That, yeah, that's one thing, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about come into a relationship with Christ. Give your life to Jesus. And if you're doing that, you can pray a prayer that sounds something like this. It's like, God, I know that I've lived my life away from you and I, I have dishonored you. I, I've, I've lived a life that is either pushed away from you or, or has just been meaningless. I haven't even been conscious of you. It could be any of those things. And yet you recognize deep down as the Holy Spirit stirs your heart, as the Spirit of God bears witness in you, that there's a, a lack, there's a God-shaped hole in your heart and you're sensing that these things can fill that. Part of that prayer is, is God, I turn from my old life. I repent. I, that's what it means to turn. And I embrace Jesus. I ask Jesus to come in. I pray that you would fill me up, that I could experience this working of the Holy Spirit that's being spoken of here that your word speaks so much about. And if that's what you're doing, pray that prayer. Allow the Spirit of God to come in. Allow him to get a hold of your heart. I guarantee you, your life will never be the same for God's glory and for your good. 
Church, as we look at spiritual giftedness, I pray that God continues to develop gifts in those that are here in our body and those that he's drawing. We pray that as we use them, that we would be mindful that the purpose is to edify one another, to build up the body of Christ. And so in that, I just pray that if the Lord's spoken to you this morning, that you would respond. Let's pray. Father, in these times, these difficult days within which we live, we pray that you, Lord, would get a hold of our hearts in ever-increasing ways, that we would see that there are clear lines being drawn, that the battle is on, that we're either for you or we're against you. And Lord, we want to be firmly for you. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit without whom we would be lost and aimless. I pray now, Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on your church. Give us good gifts. Give us the equipping that we so desperately need to carry this thing off called Christianity, called living for you. Without you, we can do nothing. So we yield to your work. We yield to your hand. We pray, Father, for your power to be ours in abundance as we live this life, as we face the days ahead. We thank you. We praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.